Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. When I was in high school, I played on the basketball team. The tallest guy on our team was 6'2", if he got on his tiptoes. One of our games, the shortest guy on their team was 6'4". The handwriting was on the wall. Have you ever heard the saying, the handwriting's on the wall? That phrase actually comes from a story, the story that we're reading today. And for one king, the handwriting was not good news. You have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in our series entitled, Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. And today, Pastor Clay's taking us to Daniel chapter 5, and that's where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks. In Daniel 5, we find a king by the name of Belshazzar, who made several mistakes. Belshazzar forgot that there is no wall thick enough to keep the hand of God out of it. Those mistakes cost him dearly, and as we'll hear Pastor Clay say in this message, Belshazzar's mistakes are the same mistakes that many people make today. Mankind makes mistakes. One of those mistakes is choosing to ignore God's presence and and who God is in our lives. This is a good place maybe to ask you, have you been ignoring who God is, who He is in your life? We appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Now here's Pastor Clay. I think I told the story before, but it's probably been a, a couple of years. So y'all won't remember it anyway. Anyway, when I was in high school, I played on the basketball team. Okeechobee High School fighting Brahmins. Fighting Brahma Bulls. I'm telling my age here, but uh, we had our uh, white uh, Converse All-Stars with our tall, tall socks came up to our knees and these real short like gold, uh, shiny shorts. Before the season even started, uh, the basketball coach quit. <laughs> that was a bad omen. Yeah, it was those shorts. He couldn't take it. The basketball coach quit just before the season started. So uh, reluctantly, the driver's ed coach, the driver's ed uh, teacher agreed to be the coach of the basketball team. Uh, we soon learned that he really knew, didn't know a whole lot about basketball, but he was tall, and I think that's what qualified him for the <laughs> position. Uh, we were bad. We were really bad. Uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you that. But one of our games uh, one night was against uh, a pretty significant rival uh, for us. We were playing against uh, Belle Glade High School. The tallest guy on our team was six. Two, maybe six, two and a quarter or something like that if he got on his tiptoes. The shortest guy on their team was six, four. The handwriting was on the wall about that game, folks. They busted the clock on us. Anybody know what that is? Anybody know what they say busted the clock on us? Really? Well, at least, I don't know how it is now, but in those days, high school scoreboards only had places for two numbers because you just, you didn't go over a hundred and you just, it just went up to 99. So busting the clock was a phrase that meant somebody went over a hundred. They went to three digits and they had to start over again. They busted the clock on us. 
And it was like, you know, it, when it got into the 70s and it got into the 80s, and the more they got into it, it was a romp. I mean, we had like 12 pointers. I don't know. We had a little more than that, but it, we didn't have much. But, I mean, their crowd was just going crazy. They were just going wild because they were going to bust the clock. And that's not something you see every day in high school. They busted the clock on us. Um, and you just, you just knew it was going to happen. You could just see it. They were ranked. They were a powerhouse. And, and we had a driver's ed teacher for our coach. And we were, and we were really short. That's an interesting phrase, that handwriting's on the wall. How many of you heard that phrase before? I don't think it's used as much as it, as it used to be, uh, but some of you may not be aware that that, of, of the origin of that phrase, the handwriting's on the wall. Uh, some of you may not know that the origin of that phrase actually comes from a story in the Bible. Actually, the story that we're reading today in Daniel chapter 5, and that's where you can open your Bibles this morning as we continue our series in the book of Daniel Unshakable faith, unbreakable promise. Daniel chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read, uh, as I've done in s- several chapters here in Daniel, uh, the entire chapter to you. And then we're going to look, uh, actually we're going to take a couple of weeks. I'll just go ahead and tell you this. We're going to look at a couple, a couple of weeks. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 5. We're going to look today at some of man's mistakes. Just the mistakes that man makes that we see evidence in Daniel chapter 5. And then next week, we're going to look at God's response to man's mistakes. Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine... He gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Now, I don't know how good an idea it is to have your wives and your concubines at the same, uh, <laughs> same party, but that's not the last uh, mistake that uh, Belshazzar is going to make. Then they brought the gold vessels that, he had been, that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners, The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. And then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. And then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. And the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. 
There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king and the king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father, the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you and that illumination, insight and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. By the way, to be clothed in purple was a a sign of, of significance. It was a sign of authority. It wasn't necessarily a fashion statement whether you liked or didn't like purple, purple meant that you were somebody. Verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself, or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make known the interpretation to him. O king, the most high God, grant it sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the people's Nations and men of every language feared and trembled before him. And whomever he wished, he killed. And whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated. And whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of beasts, and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind, and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven... And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him and this inscription was written out. And now this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, mene, tekel, uparsin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, which is the singular of uparsin. Your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. 
Then Belteshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple, put a necklace of gold around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom about the age of 62. Let's talk about some of man's mistakes based on what we read in Daniel chapter 5. And let's start with this one uh, this morning. Choosing ignorance about God. That is a mistake that man, that mankind makes. Choosing ignorance about God. Now, I need to give you a little bit of background here probably to help uh, set up the story. Um, Daniel was uh, taken captive by the Babylonians in 605 B.C. According to historians, don't you love historians? I do. (laughs) According to historians, Babylon, the city of Babylon, fell to the Medo-Persian Empire on October 12th, 539 B.C. Now, if Daniel was 16 years of age when he was carried into captivity, and we don't know for sure how old he was, but if, for instance, he was 16 years of age the, the day he was carried off into captivity to Babylon, then he is now 82 years of age the night Belshazzar calls for him to interpret the handwriting on the wall. However old he was, if you do the math, it's 66 years. For 66 years, Daniel has stood up and proclaimed the truth of God. For 66 years... He's stood out as a man of God. For 66 years, he stood against the enemies of God. And what is striking to me, what leaps off the page to me in this passage, is that Belshazzar seems totally unaware of who Daniel even is. Daniel had faithfully served the king Nebuchadnezzar. He had interpreted dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. He had overseen vast parts of the empire for the king. And in the power of God, he had been used by God to bring the king into a relationship with the true God, with the living God, to come to an understanding of who God really was. But now a new king sits on the throne. Nebuchadnezzar is dead. By the way, the text calls Belshazzar Nebuchadnezzar's son. But probably, technically, he was his grandson. Now, that's not an error on the Bible's part. That was that was just customary. It was part of that culture back then to refer to your uh, those who were for you, whether it's your father, your grandfather, your great grandfather. Talk of them as your fathers or father. That's just the way it was done. Now, a new king sits on the throne, and he seems totally unaware of who Daniel is. The queen comes in, probably the queen's mother. The, the, the queen mother, the, the king's mother, comes in and, and says, hey, uh, don't be upset. There's a, there's a guy in your kingdom, there's a guy in your service who uh, can interpret dreams and, and can tell you uh, all kinds of difficult things and he, he can do all this kind of stuff. Now, what's astounding about that is that she has to tell him that. She has to tell him there's a guy in his kingdom that can do that. I'm thinking, if I got a guy like that in my kingdom, man, I'm going to know it. But he... He doesn't. Look at the way she describes him. Uh, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, 
Illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel. And she's got to tell him about it. Look at what the king says uh, in verse 20, 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, "Uh, are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? Ignorant, ignorant of Daniel, ignorant of Daniel's God. Now, perhaps you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, if he doesn't, if he doesn't know him, he doesn't know him. That's, That's not really his problem. That's not really his fault. To be sure, Belshazzar does not know Daniel or his God. That's, that's for sure. But you better understand this. It was willful ignorance on Belshazzar's part. It was a willful choice to not know about this God that Daniel has been standing up for and preaching about for 66 years. Remember, his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, had, had sent a letter to his entire empire and had explained about who the one true God is. And he'd also ordered an edict saying, nobody better not say a a single bad thing about Daniel's God because he is the one true God. Do you think for a minute that Nebuchadnezzar's own grandson, the one who would sit on the throne, would be unaware of this God? I, I have no doubt that Nebuchadnezzar himself many times sat down and told Belshazzar the story of what God had done in his life and how God had worked in his life and how he had become arrogant in his life and how he'd become prideful and how God had to humble him by stripping away his kingdom and stripping away his very mind until he came to his senses and realized that God is the one true God. It's choosing to be ignorant of God. I remember uh, talking with this guy one time, uh, trying to share just the, the story of Jesus. With him, and I, I don't remember exactly how I said it, but but I asked him if it would be okay, or would he like for me to share with him the story of Jesus and about God's love and about God's plan and about what God had done and, and made possible for him. And I remember the guy looked at me with kind of this like little grin, and he said, "No, nah, I'm good." I just remember I don't know why I've talked to a lot of people before, but that that, that one just sticks out in my mind. No, nah, I'm good. Choosing to be ignorant. About God. You know what's really kind of scary? What's kind of scary, I think, is how similar our attitude and thought process can be to that of Belshazzar's in his day. Or when I say ours, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that the culture in which we live that, that can simply choose to be ignorant of the living God. And, and Daniel tells Belshazzar, he says... Basically says, says, you should have known this. That's why he goes through and he tells him the whole story about his, his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar and, and how he had to humble him and, and all that kind of stuff. And it says, I think it's like in verse 23 or something like that. It says, yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Watch this. Even though you knew all this. You see, it's choosing. It's choosing to be ignorant of God. I said, I, I think people do the same thing. Even still today. Look at this passage from the book of Romans. 
But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now watch this. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created. Now watch Paul's logic here. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. They can see his eternal power. They can see his divine nature in the very creation itself. Watch this. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. I'm going to tell you, Paul, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. That could have been written 10 minutes ago, folks. It's, It's that fresh in the culture in which we live today. Let me tell you how... Why people's ignorance about God is is willful. Why they've chosen it. Because, number one, we have general revelation. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 1 there. That's what that passage, that section right there is all about. We have general revelation. In other words, God has made it so clear that he is and that he has creative powers and that he has created this this, uh, universe in which we live that, as Paul says, that Nobody has an excuse for this. It is general revelation. It's revelation to everybody. Everybody can see it. Everybody has it. Whether you live in the United States of America where there's, you know, five Bibles in every house. Or whether you live in some remote corner of the world where maybe you've never even heard of the Bible. You still have general revelation. The knowledge that God is. Now, a person can uh, choose to not believe that, that the creation was created by God. They can choose to do that. Certainly many people today do. But basically Paul's argument is this. If it looks like a duck and it acts like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. What Paul's saying is you can't you can't possibly look at the, 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 the complexity of the human hand and its ability to, to hold a feather in its hand and at the same time lift heavy objects without even thinking about it. You, you can't possibly look at the complexity and the vastness of the solar system and not see God in it. You can't possibly do that. Now, people may deny it. People may say uh, that... that that no, that God wasn't needed for that. There's no supernatural uh, entity needed for that. It all happened by random chance. It was just nature took its course. Uh, never mind how nature got started, but nature just took its course, and that's what happened, and, and that's how we have what we have today. Somebody can say that, and, and certainly many people do. But I, I ask you, you seem like a, a sharp group of people. I ask you, which is more rational? Is it more rational to think that, that the beauty and the complexity and the variety and the, the vastness and, and all that, that, that you see all around you every day, the bursting forth of the 
flowers and the trees and the, and praise God, pollen will be going away soon. But, but all of that, is it more rational to say that that simply happened by chance? And boy, aren't we lucky the way it turned out. Or that someone designed this thing. That if it looks designed and it acts designed, well, it wasn't, it just looks that way, just acts that way. It really just total random chance. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm really not trying to turn this into a debate of creationism versus evolution. I'm just saying, which is more rational? I propose to you that it's more rational to believe that there was a designer. Now, I know atheists make fun of me because they say my belief system is based on faith. Now, I readily and heartily agree that I have staked my life and my eternity on a faith system. I readily, heartily agree with that statement. I have based my life, I have based my eternity on a faith statement. But I'll say a couple things about it. Number one, it is not a faith without empirical evidence. We went over some of that on Easter, just dealing specifically with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it is not a faith that is, that, that is in a vacuum and that's not based on anything. That there is empirical evidence to support my belief in the existence of God and in, in, in the Savior and the resurrection and all these kind of things. There is evidence that supports that sort of thing. The second thing I would say uh, when they ridicule me for my faith system is to say that those that deny the existence of God are living by a faith system just as much as I am. They're, they have a different faith system, but it's still a faith system. I do believe God exists. They don't believe God exists. And by faith, they have staked their life and their eternity on that belief. Because I think personally, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'm biased, but I'm just telling you, I think it takes a whole lot more faith to believe that life just, I don't know, it just happened. It just Somehow it just happened. And it, it started small, but look what it turned into. I, I think it takes a whole lot more faith to believe that than it does that, wow, there must be a designer. There must be somebody that did all of this stuff because it just looks designed. And it operates like it's designed. You understand what I'm saying? It's just willful choosing to not know God. Uh, There's also uh, special revelation. Special revelation is what I hold in my hand. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is is special revelation. It It is God's unique and special Word to the world, telling the story of God, about God's redemptive plans, and about God's plans for you and for me. It is a special revelation. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter chapter 1. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Peter says, we didn't all just get together and say, I don't know what, hey, let's say he walked on water. That's a good one. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit oversaw and superintended so that that this special revelation could be recorded and brought down to you and me. And today, ladies and gentlemen, certainly here in America, we have instant access to the Word of God in, in a plethora of ways. Hard copies, digital copies. It's on your phone, it's on your iPad, it's it's all over the internet, along with everything else. It's special. Revelation. Listen, can I just say this to you and then I'll move on. What you hold in your hand 
or have on your bookshelf at home is a very, very, very special thing. And then uh, there is also uh, personal revelation. Now, uh, a word of warning here. You've got to be a little careful with this one because without question, there are always plenty of nut jobs ready to come out of the woodwork and say, well, God told me to say this or God told me to do this. Right? That doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. The litmus test for determining whether personal revelation is true or not must always begin with special revelation. In other words, it must always be compared to special revelation. Listen to me. Personal revelation will never conflict with special revelation. You understand what I'm saying? Something somebody says, God told me this, or God, and I'm, he does that. That's what I'm, I'm saying. But somebody says, God told me this, or God told me to do this, or whatever. If what they say conflicts with what God has already said, then rest assured, God did not say that to them. So when some nut job gets on a rooftop and opens fire on people and then tells everybody or leaves a note saying, God told me to do this, you can be assured that God did not tell him to do that because that would conflict with God's special revelation where he says, you shall not murder. But that being said, there's not a doubt in my mind that God does speak to us. I am a... I am a witness to that very fact. I am a personal witness to the fact that God does speak. Now, God has never spoken to me audibly. Maybe he has to you. God has never spoken to me out loud audibly. But God has spoken to me at ways and at times in my life that was so loud that it might as well have been audible. And I stand here before you and I tell you, God as my witness, I know that God has spoken to me at times. It's not every day that that, that I... get a personal revelation like that, but I know that he has. All of that being said, just to say, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's choosing, it's willful ignorance of God. People do it every day. And you and I need to ask ourselves that same question. Boy, am I, do I choose at times to be ignorant of God or God's ways or God's presence or God's, you know, whatever it is in my life? That was a, that's a mistake that mankind makes. Let's look at a second one. Flaunting arrogance before God. That's a big mistake. That's a big one. Flaunting arrogance before God. Now let me, uh, let's talk about Belshazzar and how he flaunted his arrogance before God. It starts with this one. Belshazzar overestimated his security. We know historically that at the same night, at the same time, when Belshazzar throws a party for a thousand of his closest friends, we know that the army of the Medo-Persian Empire was camped outside of Babylon that night. We know it historically. We know how it fell. We know what happened. Like I said, October 12th, 539 B.C. The Medo-Persian Empire is camped outside of your city. And what does Belshazzar do? He throws a party. He throws a party. Belshazzar is so secure in who he is, so secure in his palace, so secure within the walls of Babylon that he doesn't think he's got a thing in the world to worry about. The Bible commentator uh, Warren Wearsby uh, says that the city of Babylon was surrounded by uh, a complex series of walls. Some of them, this, this, this is hard to get your mind around, but this is what archaeologists say, some of them as high as 300 feet high, these walls. 
Now, my guess is that probably means from the floor of the valley because they built these earthenwares, they built it up and built it up. And it's on a hill, so it's probably what it's referring to. But the point is there were these massive, massive walls, massive uh, gates made out of bronze. It was impenetrable as far as Belshazzar was concerned. Nothing to worry about. No need to spread over it. There's nothing they can do. They can stay out there. They had the... the the Euphrates River flowed right through the middle of the city, providing an unlimited source of water. Wearsby says that it, is, that it is claimed that they had enough food stored up f- to feed all the people in Babylon for 20 years. Nothing to worry about. See, Belshazzar forgot that part of the story that I'm sure he had heard multiple times. But what Daniel says uh, in uh, verse 21, uh, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, he reminds Belshazzar of this, until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Belshazzar forgot that. He forgot that God sits on his throne. And he forgot this, ladies and gentlemen, I'll move on. Belshazzar forgot that there is no wall high enough, there is no wall thick enough to keep the hand of God out of it. Overestimated his security. Second, Belshazzar trivialized God's sacrifice. He's throwing this party. And the text says, when Belshazzar tasted the wine, now that's almost certainly code for Belshazzar has had a few too many. When Belshazzar had tasted the wine, he said, hey, uh, go, 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 go get me them cups. Go get me them vessels. Go get me that, go, them gold and silver vessels that were taken uh, by Nebuchadnezzar from the, tr- from the temple in, in uh, Jerusalem. Go get those things for it. We'll drink out of them. Bad, bad mistake. These vessels, these goblets, these cups, listen to me. They were built and designed. By the way, let me say this. First off, it seems interesting to me that, uh, that the cups, the vessels are even still there. After all these years, they're still in the treasury in Babylon. I mean, I, I would just think that they would have long since been, because they didn't care about, you know, the one true God, right? I would have thought they would have long since been melted down or, used for something else or, or whatever. But no, they're still there, which, by the way, probably points to the beauty of them, how amazingly made they were, and, and, and Jewish craftsmen are renowned still to this day. Uh, but the, the beauty of them, and it may also point to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar, after coming to know the one true God, didn't want to dishonor God by using those vessels for anything else. So there they sit, still in the treasury. One thing for sure, they must have been fantastically beautiful and well-known because Belshazzar knows about them. And even in his drunken stupor, he says, man, go get me them, go get me them gold cups and them silver goblets. Go get me all that stuff so we can drink from them. Those cups, those vessels were forged and fashioned and made to be used as part of the sacrificial system in the temple. They were used as part of a system that, that covered the people's sins until the time when God himself would come and be the ultimate sacrifice and pay for the people's sins. And so these cups were part of a symbolic system that pointed to the sacrifice that God himself would make on behalf of all of the people. And so to take those cups and to use those cups for anything other than what they were intended, especially to use them to, to quench your own hedonistic thirst is about as blasphemous a thing as I can imagine doing. But that's what 
Belshazzar did. He trivialized God's sacrifice. He said, ah, go, get, go get me those things. I'll drink out of those things. And here he is, he's passing them around to his, to his buddies, to his wives, to his concubines, just passing them around. And the text says in um, verse 23 or something like that, or yeah, 5-4, thank you. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They're doing everything with these things. I'll come back there. They're doing everything with those goblets, with those cups, except what they were intended to be. They tri- trivialized, trivialized God's sacrifice. And then the, uh, the third idea, Belshazzar denied God's supremacy. Verse 4, we just read there. He's drinking it. Hey, praise the God of gold. Praise the God of silver. Pray, you know, on and on. Listen, here's, here's what Daniel says about that in uh, verse 23. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Watch this. Which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life, breath, and all your ways, you have not glorified. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Uh, we're getting ready to close this thing. But listen to me. This is, extremely, this is extremely important that we understand what's going on here. Let me, let me paraphrase. Let me give you my paraphrase of Daniel's comments to Belshazzar, the king, as a result of, of what Belshazzar did. It's just my own personal paraphrase. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You take God's cups, God's vessels that came from God's temple that are part of something that represents God's sacrifice and you and your whole sinful bunch are toasting man-made gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone? They aren't even living. You don't, they don't see or hear or understand. You toast and praise and worship your little man-made idols and you ignore the very God who gives you breath and life and everything. Are you kidding me? As far as Belshazzar was concerned, the God of the Jews, the God of the Hebrews was a defeated God because the Hebrews had been defeated. So their God was defeated. He was, he was insignificant. He was inconsequential to them. Such arrogance of this man. Now, I, 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 really, I really need to, to stop because I've got too much to say about the correlation between those three mistakes or parts of the mistakes that Belshazzar made, overestimating security, trivializing God's sacrifice, denying God's supremacy. I got some things to say about that next week and about how we can be or our culture can be guilty of those very same things. But the point is man, mankind makes mistakes. One of those mistakes is choosing to ignore God's presence and, and who God is in our lives. And this is a good place maybe to ask you, have you been ignoring who God is, who he is in your life. And next week I said, we'll talk more about this arrogance and how this arrogance can even be in our lives. But even today, asking that question, man, do I overestimate my own security? Do I just kind of leave God out of that equation? Do I trivialize God's sacrifice? And we'll talk some ways that we do that. Do I deny God's supremacy in my life? That one's going to hit home. As we look next week at how God responds to man's mistakes. That must have been some sight when the hand of God appeared and began to write on the wall. 
Well, next week, Pastor Clay is going to explain the message that was given to Belshazzar. But as we heard today, many people make those same mistakes that Belshazzar made. We live in a culture that really pays very little attention to God. Like Belshazzar, they're living for the moment, and they fail to realize that God sees everything. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.